Good morning, everyone. We're glad you're here today. We're excited to worship with you all this morning, so I'm going to invite everybody to come in and find a seat as we get ready to worship our Lord and Savior. We're going to begin this morning by reading from God's Word. You can follow along on the screen as I read. And I'm going to be reading this morning from Psalm 11. The word of the Lord says, In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, Flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted the arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. And let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we have gathered here this morning that we might worship you. Lord, because you are holy, you are righteous, Lord, you are sovereign over all, and we want to give you the glory that is due your holy name. And so, Lord, as we lift up our voices now in song, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be focused on you, our minds would be focused on you as we desire to see you lifted up here in this sanctuary. Lord, we pray for your blessing upon this service as we desire to worship you today. Lord, lead us and guide us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us as we begin and sing, Rejoice, the Lord is King. His kingdom cannot bear. He 
Take some time to find someone around you maybe you haven't said good morning to and tell them you're glad they're here today. Well, let's keep singing and praising our Lord this morning as we sing, I will follow. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow. All your ways are good. All your ways are sure. I will trust in you alone. Higher than my side, high above my life. I will trust in you alone. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll To the world 
That can be our prayer this morning that we say, God, wherever you lead, however you love, however you serve, God, that's what I want to do. I want to be like you. That's the, that is the call of the disciple, to be like Christ, to become more like him. He is holy. We want to be holy as he is holy. Let's sing that now as we sing holy, holy, holy.
Revelations, it says um, that the four living creatures, this is a picture of heaven, the four living creatures, each of them with six wings are, uh, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night, day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's a great picture of heaven that we will be a part of one day. Well, welcome, everybody. Good to be with you. My name is Mark, and, uh, you know, uh, week after week, it is an encouragement to me to be here with you, your presence, and me joining you as uh, helps spur me on uh, to uh, great things in Christ. Um, I was talking with um, a member today, and he was saying how um, he was encouraged by watching the news, and uh, he, um, he said that... Um, he said that there's, there, was a, there was a broadcast, and it said uh, that uh, Ian is strengthening. And Ian Carlos said, yes, that's what I want to be. I want to be strengthening. But that's Hurricane Ian, of course, in the Gulf of, uh, Gulf of uh, Mexico or Gulf of whatever down there. Ian is strengthening. That's what we want for you, Ian. We want to be strengthening. Ian is strengthening. Yeah, brother. Welcome to those that are uh, visiting. I'm sure there's some people new. I, I met some new people. They've probably been going a long time. But Rob and Dorothy, I think, back there. Uh, they, they seem new to me. I don't know. Are you new? Great to have you here. Great that you join us. And I uh, hope, uh, hope you find a home, a church home. I'd be really blessed if, it, if ours was your church home. That would be great. Um, any, anybody else want to wave just to get the credit that they're, that they're uh, newer? Hey, great to have you folks here. Wow, look at these great kids up there. Wow, well, welcome. Great to have you here. Hope to 
we want to get to know those folks, folks, put up, with a, you know, after fellowship time, let's uh, go, go meet them. Any, anybody, anybody else um, here that, um, oh, oh, over here, oh, great to have you folks here. Great to, oh, look at those wonderful kids. Wow, wonderful to have those kids here. Okay, remember, over here, folks, you guys over here, you know, at, uh, when we get to uh, fellowship hour, you got to get, get, got to get over here and got to meet these folks. That'd be great. Oh, wait, wait, got some, oh, up here, some other great kids. Well, we're full of a bunch of kids today. That's wonderful. We love having kids here. Praise God. You know, we got a WANA starting to, to uh, we're registering today, and we're starting this uh, Wednesday. So uh, maybe you kids um, want to join us for WANA. It's a great, great uh, ministry to kids. <clears throat> well, um, let me go uh, through a few of um, a few of these announcements today. You know, announcements, um, I like to, to remind you, remember the four Ps. Uh, some of these announcements you should plan to participate. Some of these announcements are praises. You should give praise to God because announcements are in a way of praising that there's opportunities and there's places that we can serve. And then, of course, the final P, these announcements are opportunities to pray for a ministry. So, um, so let's see. Um, we had a great missions conference yesterday. Uh, Daniel Lieberek. Uh, is Daniel here today or has he moved? Oh, he Okay. It was great to have Daniel here, missionary, um, and giving uh, show kind of uh, giving showing the opportunities that are in Europe. I loved one of the things he talked about bridging people to sharing the gospel, and he gave an example. I want to use that example. He said, "When I plan to go to my barber, before I go, I think in my mind, what kind of question could I could I ask that might bridge a conversation to the gospel." What, I mean, it may not get there. It might get to the gospel. Well, what would be a conversation? I could start with a question. And he goes into his barber, and he has that question in mind, and he hopes he can use it, and he sort of hopes he can bridge it to the gospel. And I thought, wow, that's a great encouragement. There's a man who is um, thinking evangelistic. Um, I, um, I was challenged by that, and I hope to use that. So um, we want to um, be remembering that mission field that he's in Europe. I cannot believe the other thing we learned is how lost Europe is, and um, that was uh, sobering. We have connection groups. These are small group Bible studies that meet during the week. We call them connection groups. There's a sign-up back in the back. They're a great, um, a great way to get to know each other. Uh, we're having a baptism service October 9th. Praise God. Praise God for that. October 9th at 2 p.m. More details about the location. Uh, it'll be this baptism. Uh, we're going to have a dessert fellowship to follow. It will be somewhere in the community. It'll be in a river or a lake or someplace like that. If you're interested, please um, get a hold of the pastor. Awana begins this week, Wednesday night. Oh, we're going to have a good time at Awana. And to uh, talk to Tim, Tim Giordano, we still need some volunteers. And um, today, Tim, we have, um, we have a sign-up, don't we, t today? It's a, a Awana kickoff barbecue right there. The sign says it all, doesn't it, from 3.30 to 5.30. So... Um, so if you want to get registered and come have a good kickoff that's here, there'll be, a, I think, a bounce house and different things. It uh, should be great fun. So um, 3.30, 5.30, kickoff barbecue. Um, and uh, just remember, Tim's back in the back. There's some of you are still thinking about uh, opportunities to, to be a leader. Uh, talk to Tim. Those interested in serving in the choir or, or bell choir, uh, see the bulletin for information how you get involved. Great to, great to be in the choir with people. It's a great connection group in a way. Uh, the youth, youth, uh, sixth grade and up. 
Today at 11 a.m., there's a training session for junior shepherds. So if you are a youth, a sixth grade and up, that's at 11 a.m. Sierra Reinhardt is leading that. So you want to be a part of that. Uh, serving as a junior shepherd is a great way to learn to be in serving in the church. And so um, let's see. We, um, we have a parenting class starting today. Brian Bell is leading a, a parenting class. That's at 11 a.m. at room 12. A parenting class that should be awesome we have the offering ba uh, offering box in the back uh, and there are uh, remember there are other opportunities in the bulletin that you might want to look through uh, one of the great um, moments of the church is welcoming people into membership um, and we have that opportunity today uh, Gail Johansson we welcome you into membership thank you for par uh, joining us in membership and uh, Gail's back in the back and um, you know, you're going to all want to get to know Gail. I'm sure most of you know Gail already, um, but uh, she's just a lovely lady. I've been had the fortune to be in a connection group with her and been able to hear her wisdom and her encouragements and her spiritual, she's spiritually deep. And um, so that is, um, that is great. Thank you. So I think that's all that I have for announcements. Um, let, um, you know, there are many, uh, there's a song out there called Standing on the Promises. I know one of those promises that, um, that I stand on is one day the Lord has prepared a place for us in heaven and we will be there with him one day and that is a great promise. And uh, this passage we're going to read to get to today uh, comes from um, Revelation and speaks about that uh, a vision that uh, John had about um, what that will be like in heaven. And um, the Bible um, is uh, the truthful word of God. It's truthful. It is um, it is our source of um, of learning about God. Let us uh, let's let's uh, stand and uh, we'll we'll read from uh, Revelation nineteen six through ten. And I wonder if you would um, you would uh, help me there. I will read um, the evens. If you would read the odds, uh, that would be that would be great. So, um, church, let us uh, let's read God's word together. Then uh, then uh, I'll start off. Uh, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty pearls of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. It was granted her, it was granted her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brother and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. You may be seated. Church, I would um, 
ask you to join me in prayer. I, um, I hope that during this time that um, we have a room full of prayer that's going up to the Lord and the Lord is hearing our prayer. And I hope I don't get in the way of that. And um, I would uh, ask that uh, I would try to lead you in prayer. And, um, and as you pray, pray silently, please, uh, let's join together in praying. So uh, our Father in heaven, we are so thankful to be your children. Lord, you are holy, holy, holy. You are awesome. Church, there are so many ways that we can worship and honor God with things that we remember, things that we have read in Scripture, ways we have experienced God. Church, remember to bring those and lift those up to the Lord. And Lord, we want to uh, remember to confess our sins. Lord, um, church, you know we, uh, we all are sinners and uh, that we see its effect in our lives, in our relationships, in our interactions, our thoughts. We need to be those who practice confession of sin and pursue holiness and truth. Church, we want to remember the, the missionaries across the world, and we want to remember the, the conference we had, and, and we want to be faithful, church, to pray to the Lord that he would uh, give us a harvest, particularly in Europe, where we learned about. Church, let's pray to God about uh, the mission fields and pray that people's hearts would be open and they would be convicted of sin and turn. Church, there's another missionary we want to be praying for. We want to remember the Nakamuras. They're our ministry partners of the month. They have moved recently to uh, Texas. Uh, and so there are certainly many new um, challenges for them as they get to know a church body, as they start to get to know friends, as they start to build their life in Texas, in their ministry there. Uh, they are, uh, remember, they are missionaries who are... Um, bringing the gospel to Japanese people particularly. Church, let's remember to pray to God for them and be faithful to pray for the Nakamuras. And uh, another thing let's pray for church is youth and children's ministry. Today is a great reminder. We have a lot of youth children in the church. We are thankful for that. And um, Lord, um, we want to pray that we would have a love in our heart for children and uh, seeing them understand the Bible, understand the truth of the gospel. And uh, we want to remember uh, one of those ministries is starting this week, Awana. Dear God, may you uh, give Awana ministry uh, safety and protection. Lord, give the leaders enthusiasm. And may we see bridges. May we find bridges to share the gospel to youth. Lord, um, we want to be faithful to pray for our brothers and sisters in this church, particularly right now, that are possibly ill in the hospital, homebound. Lord, maybe you would use us to um, be your hand and feet, to reach out, to go to them, to encourage them, to love them. Each of us knows those people, and we want to pray for them now. Lord, we are thankful that you have provided for the church's needs. Lord, we thank you for the, uh, the receiving of the offerings and the tithes. 
Lord, we want to use them to your honor and glory. We want to be good stewards. God, uh, thank you that you have been the one that has provided for this church, for this body. We thank you for that. Lord, we pray for unity. Lord, it is a challenge to be um, united. It is a challenge. Um, we, um, we have um, wonderfully different opinions, and I am thankful for that. But help us be committed to unity. Lord, help us with reconciliation where it's necessary. Lord, uh, we want to change. We want to be transformed. Your God, increase our capacity to love. We need your help, Lord. We need your help. We want to forbear with our brothers. We want to endure with our brothers. We want to be kind-hearted, encouraging one another. We want to be patient with one another. Lord, we want to be a light to the world that says those people must be transformed. How could they get along so well? How could they be so united? We want to be a light um, to the world. Lord, uh, we pray for the service today. May you bless the word. May we see anew things that are truths in your word. So, Father, we love you. And um, we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, our kids can be dismissed to their classes. While I invite the rest of you to stand as we continue in our worship and singing Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. T'was taught my heart to fear at grace my fears relieved how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed my chains are gone I've been set
Well, good morning to you all. It's good to be with you this morning. I want to say thank you to the missions committee for all their hard work. What a wonderful day we had yesterday as we gathered and heard about things that are going on in the world and get challenged about God's purpose and how we can all be part of it. And I know the, the question and answer time was especially enriching as we heard more about what is happening in the continent of Europe, as we learn more about how we can be involved. And I want to recognize someone this morning, particularly, and that is the chair of that committee, Amy White, who did all of this work, but then was called away to work at the last minute. So Amy's in the back corner. I would appreciate if you'd let her know we appreciate the hard work that she did for this conference this weekend. The famous Dutch painter Rembrandt was the author and creator of over 300 famous works of art. Most of them are paintings. They're known for their being exquisite in their beauty, rich in their meaning. Many of them portray stories from the Bible, especially from the life of Christ. And in his repertoire, he has several paintings that feature the crucifixion of Jesus. And in one of them, he has the usual characters. Jesus, of course, on the cross, the thieves, the soldiers, the crowds, the women. But in the lower corner of the painting, he painted his own face. It was his way of saying that I was there, I was a witness, it was my sin that put him there. I think Rembrandt shows great insight into the purpose for which Jesus came into the world. As the one who came to save his people from their sins, as we see in the early part of the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus came to live out the perfect righteousness of God, to be the required sacrifice for sin that alone could satisfy the justice and mercy of God and his holiness. It was for God's glory and for the good of sinners that Jesus came. So in our time in the gospel according to Matthew, we have come to Matthew 9 today where Jesus will continue to show the impact of his coming. If he is the Lord of life, if he is the Savior, then he is able to call and command sinners to follow him. 
and expect that they would obey. He shows the tension that exists between the joy of his arrival and the anticipation of his upcoming death on a Roman cross. But through it all, in his ministry, as he's moving through from region to region and teaching in place to place, he shows that he is the savior of sinners, the bridegroom of his people, as we've already sung this morning. He is worthy not only to follow, but to celebrate, for he is the one who forgives, who heals, who brings in the new righteousness that comes with the kingdom of heaven, over which he is king and will rule and reign forever. And so there's a lot of hope in the passage that we will look at today, especially for those whom the world considers outcasts and unclean. And in our sober moments in life, we realize that's us. And aren't we glad that we have a God who embraces such as we are. So I invite you to stand if you are able to as we read our passage this morning and a special note to those you visiting this morning. Thank you for being with us and it is our custom here at the Evangelical Free Church whenever possible to stand as we read God's word in honor of him and his authority. And when we arrive at this point in the service as we read the word and get ready for the sermon, we go through it line by line, verse by verse, just as God the Holy Spirit gave it. And so join in with us this morning in this study as you follow along in your sermon outline. And now as we read our passage this morning, may God give blessing to the reading of his word. For that holy word says, and Jesus passed on from there. He saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch tears away from the garment and the worst tear and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wine skins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wine skins and so both are preserved. Let us pray. Father, at the reading of your word now, would you give us attention to hear and eyes to see and hearts to be open? For we know that is a work that you alone can do. And so we thank you that as you've given this gift by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you teach it to us now that we might lift up the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name and whose honor we pray, amen. Please be seated. For those of you joining us online this morning, thank you. It is good to greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for being with us. And as you open your Bibles this morning, study along with us as we go through Matthew chapter 9. If you take out your sermon outline, it's found in your bulletin. We get to our first major point. 
which is from taxes to discipleship. From taxes to discipleship. And the text says, as Jesus passed from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And so our text begins with Matthew sitting at his post in the role of a tax collector. It means that he would have been working for the Roman authorities. And it was typical in the Roman Empire for contracts to be given to the highest bidder. The Romans would want to gain revenue from one of their provinces. And so they would solicit contracts from different men who says, well, I'll raise so much for Rome for this year. I'll raise so much for Rome for this year. And the one whom Rome thought would be able to gain the most but could do it reasonably and possibly would get the contract. And then the, the, the tax collector was allowed to keep whatever he raised above that amount. So you can imagine then that this was a, a job that there was competition over because it came with the power and authority of Rome, often accompanied by armed guards. And that's what happened in most places in the Roman Empire. But it was a little different in the province of Palestine. There the tax collectors were hired to represent the governing authorities directly. And so it was in this region, the region of Galilee, that King Herod of Antipas, uh, King Herod of Antipas was allowed to collect taxes in Galilee to run his operations. And so Matthew would find himself in the situation where he would, in a sense, be working both for the Herods and for the Romans, who were the enemies of the people of God. They would be required to collect a certain amount of taxes and keep whatever they would raise above that. And so here we have a tax collector sitting at his post. And what would that look like? It might be a table at the city gate, outside of, inside the city gate. It might be at a table at a crossroads where traffic and transportation would take place. It could be at a place of commerce. And the tax collector had the authority to observe all that was passing back and forth and stop anyone as he willed to observe what it was that they were transporting, and he could determine what they would pay. He would determine the value of what they were trying to bring, what they wanted to buy, what they wanted to sell, such things like animals or wood or grain or wine or other commodities. And after he determined their values, he would determine the rates to be paid. If you happened to be walking along the road and you weren't involved in the transportation of goods, you could still be assessed a toll for the ability to use the roads or seaports or whatever might be the case going in and out of the city at the city gate. So in this case, we probably find Matthew sitting in Capernaum near the Sea of Galilee because Jesus has just crossed over to the sea and he's come back over and now we get to Matthew. He would probably tax the catch of fish that the fishermen would have, maybe even charge them for the use of their boats or pay tolls or require tolls from those who are passing through. And this became a very heavy burden for the people of the day. And so you can imagine the lengths to which they would go to try to hide what they had, what they were bringing, what they wanted to sell. Therefore, you can imagine then the drama that would enter into every encounter, the intrigue, the emotions that went into each negotiation, the pleading, the yelling, the shouting, the bargaining that would go on as people pleaded with the tax collector to be lenient in the taxing of their goods. You can imagine the anger, the fear that would rise in the hearts of people towards this type of profession. And then to add insult to injury, there was also an annual tax for every male living in the province. Every year they just have to pay their annual tax. And all of that revenue was collected 
to allow the authorities to run their operations, to keep the heavy thumb on the people. And you can imagine then the resentment that would rise with that. But Rome wants to keep the cash flow going, and so they would have soldiers that would guard the tax collectors on their movements, on the collections of all that they were charging. Now, it's interesting, in a little play on words, uh, the Greek word for tax collector is telones. Telones, that's in Greek, but it sounds too similar in English to tell on us, and so that's why people really do not like tax collectors. They're only going around telling on us about what we have and what we have to pay taxes about. And they were especially despised because they'd become rich, very rich. And especially someone like Matthew, who was Jewish, to be tied so closely to Herod, to be tied so closely to Rome, he'd be seen as a traitor, betraying his culture, his people, his religion. The fact that he came in constant attention with the Gentiles meant that he was seen as unclean, in addition to being immoral because of his actions. So these tax collectors were considered traitors. They were outcasts. They were outcasts politically, socially, religiously. Now, if you've ever had a chance to work in a public service job where you face the public and the joy that that can be day to day from 8 to 5, you might get a little idea of what the tax collector had to deal with. Sure, he became very wealthy, unlike a lot of the civil servants today. The tax collector would become very wealthy, but it would be at a great cost. A great cost to his reputation, a great cost to his family. And imagine being known as the son of a tax collector, the wife of a tax collector. Well, with all of that as the background to our first story this morning, as Jesus passed from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. We get to our next point, which is rise and follow. As he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. Now, it is likely, given the nature of city life and in the region of Galilee and the city of Capernaum, that Matthew had heard about Jesus before this encounter. After all, if he is sitting at this table every day, encountering lots of people every day, he's going to overhear the stories of what the people are talking about. So it is likely that he had already heard some things about Jesus, about his teaching. It doesn't clearly state that here, but that was just the dynamics. Jesus himself would have had to pass through the city gates. Jesus himself would have had to go by the tax collecting booth as he went back and forth over the Sea of Galilee. And so it is likely then that there was at least some familiarity. But notice our words draw emphasis to the point that he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. He probably was doing this for a while. I mean, observing what is happening. He knew about this line of work. He knew the exchanges that would take place. He knew the arguments that would happen over goods and money. He would hear about the pleas and the anger and the, the threats. And then the hateful resignation as people had to fork over their hard-earned money to this social pariah who was seen as a traitor to his people. We're given his name, Matthew, and what is interesting is that in the account in the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Mark, he's referred to as Levi. And it was common in those days for men to have more than one name. They would, they would travel in different circles or work in different circles and have different names. So 
It's very common then that he could be called Matthew in one setting and Levi in another. But at some point, we're told that Jesus approaches him and says, follow me. And this is in what we, what we call the present tense. It's present continuous, indicating that this is to be an ongoing action. You recall when we talked a couple of weeks ago about how disciples uh, became disciples, they would go to a teacher and say, I want to follow you. I want to learn from you. And they would literally follow the teacher around as they went from place to place, learning the trade or whatever it was of that teacher. Well, Jesus, of course, reverses the natural order of things, and he is the one that picks those that will follow him, but it, it's in an ongoing manner. He's literally saying, Matthew, follow me. Walk through life with me. Learn about my ministry. And if you think of all of the, dynamic, the dynamics that are going on socially, that are going on economically, politically, relationally, to have Matthew follow Jesus would be an amazing thing in the eyes of the Jews. He would be a most unusual convert to have this famous or infamous tax collector becoming a follower of the Messiah would indeed draw attention. But with an amazing display of obedience, it simply says, he rose and followed him. Now when we look at the account in the Gospel of Luke, look at the detail that's very important that is added. And leaving everything he rose and followed him when jesus calls he says i am the way the truth and the life there is no other way to get to heaven there is no other truth that saves there is no other life that brings us into the kingdom of heaven and the presence of god and so you look at the dynamics that are going on here being a tax collector was a difficult job but at least it paid well but Matthew knew that if he left that post, he could not go back. For though it was a job that was difficult, it was a job that many were ready to step into. And there would have been many men who would have stepped right into the post. And so if it didn't work out, he couldn't go back. Moreover, if he left that job and followed Jesus and it, works out, it didn't work out, who would be ready to hire someone who was a former tax collector? So there was a lot at stake in this decision. A fisherman, for his part, could return to his profession. It was always a need to provide food. It was always a need to catch fish. But a tax collector, that would have been it. Well, with his name being Levi, it might indicate that he came from that tribe. So he would be somewhat familiar with the practices of the priest. He certainly was a trained tax collector, which means he had received the education necessary to understand accounting practices. And moreover, he was living in Galilee as a Jew, so he must have had some understanding of the Old Testament scriptures. So in many ways, he was trained. He was experienced. He was well-positioned. He was making money as he's dealing with people moment by moment throughout every day. But now Jesus comes to him and says, follow me. And he does. Leaving everything, he rose and followed Jesus. And what's interesting is the meaning of his name. The name of Matthew means given of Yahweh, a gift of Yahweh. And so here we have this dynamic encounter. I love the use of names in scripture because the hours are full of meaning. You have one whose name means a gift of Yahweh, who is called by one whose name means Yahweh saves. That's the meaning of Jesus' name. And so in this encounter, we see Jesus 
acting out, as it were, the meaning of his name as he calls this tax collector, this sinner, to come and follow him. That's why he came, to save sinners. And so we see the reaction. Let's have a party. And as Jesus reclined at table, the text says, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And so we saw that as Matthew left it all, we don't get the impression that he did it grudgingly or with resignation. He wasn't dragged kicking and screaming from the collection tables. No, he shows full trust in Jesus. His life focus will now change from one of taking to one of giving. And I find that a great illustration of what happens to us when we encounter Christ. We go from being takers to givers because we're recipients of such great mercy and grace from the Lord. So he, Matthew takes the Lord Jesus home and they have a feast and he wants to celebrate that he has met the Savior, that he has experienced eternal life, but he's a tax collector. Who can he invite to his party? Well, it must be other tax collectors. It must be other sinners. After all, who wants to befriend these kind of people? They had to hang out together because no one else would want to hang out with them. They would be his closest companions. And it's with them that he first shares Jesus and invites them to come. And I find it interesting what Matthew didn't do. Matthew didn't tie a knot in the conversation and say, now wait, Jesus, I need to go back and I need to clean myself up. I need to straighten my life out first. I need to take care of some things and make myself ready so then I can come and follow you. Does it say he did that? Just rose up. That's the call of the gospel. When Jesus says, come, come. A number of years ago when I was at seminary, I was doing evangelism with a fellow classmate. And in one particular encounter, he took the lead in our evangelism encounter. We were just going out and talking to students on college campuses and in shopping malls. And we happened to be in an area where there were a large number of African-Americans. And, and my classmate was an African-American. He said, let me take the lead on this one. And so we, be, we began conversing with a man and striking up a nice conversation. And he, he was talking about sin. He was talking about righteousness. And he was talking about coming to Christ. And then he turned to me. And he said, Brother Greg, do you, do you wash up before you take a shower? I said, no, no, I just go straight to the shower. Matthew didn't take time to clean himself up. Matthew didn't take time to make himself right. Matthew didn't say, there's some things I got to do to qualify myself for Christ. He just got up, left everything, and went to Jesus. He came to Jesus to get cleaned up. That's the hope of the gospel. He is the one that cleans us up. So the text goes on to say that tax collectors and sinners came and had a party with Jesus. Now, we know who the tax collectors are, but who are these that are called sinners? Well, they were those who didn't follow the strict interpretation of the law as given by the Pharisees. They didn't and weren't able to meet the high and expected standards that the Pharisees taught. So because they were less than, they were considered Sinners. So these two groups together, the tax collectors and sinners, formed the untouchables of the first century. And yet here they are, notice the expression, reclining at table with Jesus and his disciples. Eating and drinking and enjoying a good party. And we know that 
to eat and to drink with someone, to share a meal with them, is a sign of association. It's a sign of acceptance, of identification. And how much more in the Jewish world where that was where major things happened. We saw that as well as we interacted with, with Arabs, that most of life happened around meals. You'd plan weddings, you'd make contracts, you'd build relationships. You reclined at table with one another in association with one another. And in the Jewish mind, reclining at table was an important image that showed the relationship that they had with God, fellowshipping with his people. So Matthew got up. He followed Jesus. He left it all behind. He invited his friends to come and fellowship with Jesus. Is that not a great example for us to follow? Have you encountered the living Lord? Has he given you purpose and hope in life? And are you sharing that with those around you whom, with whom you're in close association to bring them along and say, yes, come and meet my Jesus, for he makes all the difference in the world. Jesus, the Messiah, came and ate and drank with sinners and dirty tax collectors. But here he was, this religious leader. That was bound to get a reaction from the other religious leaders. After all, how could he eat with such unclean people? But Jesus knew that to associate with those he came to save was an image of a greater party yet to come. One that we just read about in the book of Revelation, that greater banquet yet to come where we will be gathered around the table with the Lord and fellowship with him forever. And I look forward to that day. I trust you do as well. And so as they're having a party, we hear Jesus give the conclusion to this matter. He says, come ye sick and sinners. And when the Pharisees saw this, ah, the Pharisees, ever the ones sitting in judgment on others, ever the ones looking for a reason of accusing Jesus of doing something wrong. And of course, that's a common theme in the, in the history of the church. Christians are always being accused of all kind of things. Even in our day today, who are considered the haters, the evildoers, the wrong ones? It's the followers of Jesus Christ. The Pharisees would not have entered this house because they didn't want to become unclean by coming into contact with those that were unclean. They had this sense of superior holiness. They couldn't contact such people. But the homes of those days often had big wide open courtyards and gathering areas. And so when people were gathered in parties, people walking by could observe what's going on. And that must have been the case here where they can see what's happening. And when the Pharisees saw this, we are told, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, for whatever reason, they don't talk to Jesus directly. Notice that they make reference to your teacher. They didn't really understand yet who Jesus was. They didn't, certainly didn't understand what Jesus was doing. How could this religious teacher, if he knew so much, how could he love such unacceptable people? They stood on the outside looking in and judging what they were seeing, but they wouldn't enter in to find out what was really happening. They could only see the flaws and the failures and the imperfections, but Jesus looked and saw the true need. May the Lord give us eyes to see with the eyes of Jesus and to look beyond the flaws and imperfections and failures and to see the true need. And to invite people to come with us and go to the Savior. 
Now, we're not told how, but somehow either Jesus overheard the conversation or perhaps it was shared with him while he's in the midst of the party, but he responds. But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. It's just common sense. Those that are sick don't go to a doctor. Only the sick do. If someone is not sick and they go to the doctor, we say they're sick. They have hypochondria. It is the normal thing in life to go to the doctor when you're sick. And it is a normal thing for a doctor to be where the sick patients are. Friends, Jesus gives us an example here as he's with those who are most in need. And then all throughout the Gospel of Matthew, he sends his disciples out to do the same thing. He sends them out to be with those who need to know that one has come who is calling the sick, who is calling the sinner. So we have here a not-so-subtle rebuke of the Pharisees because they thought that they were the ones who were well. But they don't see the fact that they themselves are really sick. And notice the difference here then between the understanding of the term sinner as it relates to the Pharisees and sinner as it relates to the Savior. To the Pharisee, a sinner was one who didn't follow their laws. They had set it all up. After all, they're the religious leaders. They set up their customs, their interpretations. They add on to that, their customs and interpretations that went on for generations. So they see themselves as the ones who can determine who are sinners or not. Jesus' definition is much simpler. The sinner is the one who is opposed to the ways of God. So the, the tax collectors, they're without pretension. They know who they are. They know they are sick. They've seen their hearts becoming darkened by sin. They have seen the worst of people. Perhaps they've seen the worst of themselves. And they know they're helpless to do anything about it. As the darkening shadow has come over their hearts more and more, they know they need a doctor. And Jesus, the great physician, has come. But here's the truth this morning, my friends. We're all such sinners. We're all sick. And sin and rebellion. We've all been bruised by sin. We've bruised others with our sin. And the effects of sin are all around us. But here's the fact of the matter. The church is a society of sinners. The church is the only club that I'm aware of where the entrance requirement is to be unworthy of being a member. There is nothing we can do to make ourselves right with God. Nothing. But the good news is that God calls us. God turns us so that we can turn to him. And he turned us long before we ever turned to him. He is the one who redeems us. His mercy is what saved us. And his mercy is what keeps us. And if that is the case, my friends, if he is the merciful one, and we have been the recipients of such great Mercy, how offensive it must be to him when we fail to extend that mercy to others. You see, God's grace grips our lives, transforms our lives, and continues to mold us into the image of Christ. And if we have been gripped by the grace of God, then should not graciousness flow from us towards others? And that becomes a challenge for each one of us then because each one of us needs to go to the cross and say, Father, I did it again. 
Father, my heart is cold. Father, I'm allowing bitterness to come in. Father, there's anger in my mind. And as we allow the truth of the gospel to continue to be applied to our own lives in cleansing and in purification and ongoing spiritual growth and maturity. And that's the good news of the gospel. Jesus says, follow me. And we keep following him. And he leads us to greater and greater ponds of righteousness and away from the cesspools of this world. The Pharisees thought that they were all right. They thought their deeds and their doctrines all lined up and they were okay with God. Therefore, they had the right to sit on the higher perch and look down on those around them. They didn't want to recognize that they were wrong. They didn't want to see their own weakness. They certainly didn't want to admit that they were sinners. And they were blind. Here the doctor is in their presence. And they won't go to him. The, the French have a proverb. I'll just, I'll, I'll give it to you in English. That none is so blind as he who will not see. They refused to see. They didn't want to see. And so the tension is going to grow now between Jesus and these religious authorities. And it will continue throughout the duration of the Messiah's ministry. Matthew, for his part, he has received great mercy from the Savior. So he goes out and gathers others who also need to receive mercy from the Savior. And they have a party as mercy has been given and mercy has been received. And so he goes on just to drive the point home to the Pharisees. He says, go and learn what this means. You who are the religious leaders, you who are the educated ones, you who have run the seminaries and the Bible schools, you go and learn what this means. There's a jab in that command. It's a call to make a sincere effort to what does the word of God actually say. And he says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Quoting from the prophet Hosea, who in his day was used by the Lord God to call his people to love him first and to show that love towards others, to show the importance of mercy as God is showing his mercy to others. So there's a rebuke here to the Pharisees to show mercy and compassion towards others and to get over themselves. Jesus is calling sinners and outcasts. The Pharisees send them away saying, go clean yourself up and come back. But God accepts those he calls, and then he transforms them. He changes them. And is this not what Jesus said earlier when he was standing on the mountain? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, Jesus said, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He came to save those who recognize their poverty before God, who make no claims or pretensions for themselves. They hear the voice of God saying, follow me and obey him as the way and the truth and the life and walk in his ways. Jesus is reflecting here the reality of why he came, why he needed to come, because he knows what the scriptures say. We could point at many examples. I'm only going to point to one, Psalm 14, that clearly says there are no righteous. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They're corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. 
And as the Apostle Paul writes his magnus opus, the book of Romans, he quotes from this to show that we all stand under the just and equal condemnation of God as sinners. Jesus knows that's why he came. He said, I have come to call sinners because think about it, that's all he can call. There are no righteous that he can call. He has to call sinners. He calls to repentance those who need to repent. He came to save real sinners according to the standards of God and to really save them, not through their own efforts, but because his righteousness is perfect and given to us at the moment that we believe. And then he'll carry it out, as he says later in the gospel, according to Matthew, he says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so there's a sense where each of us, as we have heard that call, we've all moved from taxes to discipleship, from poverty to spiritual riches, from death and darkness to light and life. Secondly, we go on to another story that Jesus has to deal with, and that is, it's time to feast. Jesus is having a party here with sinners and tax collectors, and as we said, that points to a greater party yet to come, and the new heavens and the new earth. So here's the question, my friends. Will you be present at that banquet? Will you have a place around the table of the master? So Jesus deals with another issue, and he says, feast now, fast later. The text tells us, then the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? So we've already seen the reaction of the Pharisees. How can this one eat with sinners? Now we see the reaction of the disciples of John. So we have to pause and ask the question, who are they? Well, several times in the New Testament, we come across this group of people who followed John the Baptist. They'd heard about the knowledge of the truth of John. They'd followed this ascetic way of living where they denied themselves, they fasted. But for whatever reason, they had not gone to the one to whom John pointed. And we, we see examples of who they are. And you know, it's interesting today in the Middle East, there are still groups of people who follow John the Baptist. They still haven't come all the way to the one to whom John was pointing. So these followers of John, we might call them the Johnites, they're mentioned several times in the New Testament. And we come across them in Acts chapter 19 as well. But let's stick with the issue of fasting. Jesus talked about this already a few chapters ago as we moved through the Sermon on the Mount. But there's really only one place in the Old Testament that required fasting on the part of the people of God, and that was on the Day of Atonement. Fasting was always allowed, it was only required on the Day of Atonement. But the Pharisees, ever seeking to earn merit before God because of their own efforts, added to that that they would fast every Monday and Thursday. And you recall Jesus warned against doing our works of righteousness before others. Don't do that, he says. And then goes on and gives the meaning of fasting and the timing of fasting, that it is something that is done to honor and please God and God alone. And so they come. Well, we're fasting. Why are you not fasting? And I love the answer Jesus gives. He says, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days are coming when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. There is so much here.
Fasting in the Old Testament was intended to be during times of mourning, during times of confession of sin, during times of struggle and strife and in need of deliverance. It was to seek God's face. But here, they can't fast because the bridegroom is there. It's a wedding. It's a time to celebrate. And there's a not-so-subtle reference to Jesus being a divine being here because in the Old Testament, only Yahweh was referred to as the bridegroom of his people. And that occurs several times in the prophets. Here Jesus says he's the bridegroom. You know, John the Baptist referred to Jesus as the bridegroom as well. But the bridegroom is here. It's a time to celebrate, not to mourn and to lament, because after all, weddings are a time of celebration, not of mourning. The feasting should go on now because the Messiah has come and the forces of evil are now starting to be rolled back. The victory has come and slowly Jesus is going to overcome all that was lost in Adam and ultimately at his return in the new heavens and the new earth where all evil will be overturned and there will be righteousness forever and ever and ever and ever. And so this symbol of celebration now symbolizes the kingdom of heaven, the relationship that God has with his people who desires fellowship. And throughout the scriptures, that desire for fellowship shows up in images of eating and drinking. How can we mourn and fast when we're in the presence of the Savior? But there's a little warning that's hidden in here. The days are coming when the bridegroom is taken away. The bridegroom will be taken away one day. He will suffer. He will die on a cross. That won't be the time to party. That will be the time to fast. But fasting according to the rules of the new covenant, not those of the Pharisaic way of living. So Jesus is giving an image that the old way is passing away and the new way has come. Therefore, out with the old. So Jesus gives two illustrations here to show that the new covenant, as it were, is overtaking. It's, it's fulfilling the old covenant. First, he says, no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Secondly, he says, neither is new wine put into old wineskins. In both cases, trying to force the new to fit into the old results in disaster. So consider the first one where it says, he says a shrunken garment cannot be mended with a new patch. There's a play on words here that I love. It's epibale epiblema. We might translate it as patches a patch or pieces a piece as you try to cover up the hole that is in the garment. And we know that putting that new patch on a garment as it begins to shrink will pull away from the garment and ruin it. So the, the, the application then is trying to make the new fit with the old will not work. It will ruin the attempts at, at taking care of it, and it will ruin the garment itself. Now, considering what happened with wine in those days, wine was stored in animal skins, which at first are very elastic. This elasticity allows them to grow and expand as the wine ferments and gas bubbles form and, and the bag, the wine skin begins to go out. As it grows, the wine skin is able to grow with it. The wine matures and then the wine is useful for consumption or celebration or medicinal use. But once that wine skin is empty, it just immediately begins to dry out. It, it is no, in no place to be able to expand again. 
putting new wine into it would simply dry it out or simply cause it to burst and everything would be ruined. So again, trying to join new ways of living, the new into the old, does not work. The gospel makes all the difference. We cannot combine works of the law and the gospel. We cannot add to the gospel. They are at odds with each other. So out with the old, and of course, in with the new. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. New wine won't fit in old wineskins. The new covenant cannot fit into the ways of the old covenant, especially as the Pharisees added on to it. The new covenant brings the new way of living that results in entrance leads to entrance into the kingdom of heaven and shows its fruit. Jesus has not come to patch up the old garment of the Pharisees. He brings in the righteousness of the kingdom of heaven that surpasses their righteousness. He gives us the new garment of righteousness, clothed, as it were, in the righteousness of Christ. It's that clothing that makes us fit for the kingdom of heaven as we are clothed in Christ. And as we enter in then, as he has worked in us the miracle of the new birth, and as he is transforming us, it is changing now all the ways we think and all the ways we do, and our own ambitions and desires now get molded as we become a new covenant community, living with God's family, as it were, with the other brothers and sisters in Christ. This brings about new habits that separate us from the way we did things in the past, as we practice the plans of righteousness that Jesus has already taught us about, how to pray, how to fast, how to give, how to fellowship, how to worship, how to gather with his people. Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And with his coming, there's a new way to live out the principles today. So the new wine of the gospel is here. Wine was used in the prophetic writings to talk about a messianic age it was a, a sign of abundance that there would be fruitfulness because god is blessing his covenant and blessing his people the old ways of doing things are now gone so don't try to force the gospel into the old wineskin of the law don't force the gospel into the old teachings of the pharisees and the scribes Paul will pick up on this and say it's the law that kills what the Spirit gives life. Jesus is not trying to fill old wineskins with new life. He's giving the new life of the kingdom that surpasses the righteousness of the Pharisees. It is true life based on the truth that is the only and the narrow way. When Jesus calls a person to follow him, he changes that person. Changes his orientation, changes his direction, changes his focus, changes the purposes. The things he wanted to do before, he doesn't want to do now. And the inverse is true. The things he didn't want to do, the things of God, he now wants to do. And as part of that transformation, then there is joy in sharing that good news with others. For how can we keep to ourselves what God has done in our own lives? And as we have a foretaste of the celebration to come of the, the new feast, the new table. We look forward to that day when we will experience it in full forever and ever and ever at the wedding feast of the Lamb. 
Will you have a seat at that table one day? Have you placed your trust completely and only in the righteousness of Christ to save you? Have you repented, turned away from your sin, said, Lord, there is only one way, your way. Have mercy on me, a sinner, and lead me in the way of righteousness. Today we see as Jesus shows he has all authority over all things. Today he shows he has authority over a person's life. He has authority over the law. And that life with him is truly a celebration. Do you experience that joy of the Lord? Are you walking in that joy of the Lord as you fellowship with the one who has come to bring great joy? Now, next week, we'll look at some more miracles that Jesus will perform, continuing to show his authority over nature, over disease, even over social customs. But during this week, what are some lessons we can pull from today to encourage us as we've been encountered by this text? Well, first, because Jesus withstood opposition to his ministry, we can stand firm in him when we face opposition in our own ministry, which we will. We have a culture that doesn't want to follow Jesus and his ways. Are we willing to be willing to stand in the midst of that because Jesus stood firmly for us? Secondly, because Jesus offers hope to outcasts and sinners, we will share his truth with the outcasts in our lives. Before the holy throne of God, we know that we are all outcasts unless God does a mighty work in our lives. Thirdly, because Jesus is the good doctor, we will go to him with our spiritual sickness. There are times that um, we think we know more than our doctor. In this case, my friends, we don't. When the good doctor has spoken, it's settled, and we must respond accordingly. Thirdly, because the, uh, fourthly, because the new way in Jesus is better, we will walk in the freshness of the Spirit and not under the tyranny of legalism. There is such a joy in walking with the Lord that you don't want to do the things that are displeasing to Him. And so the Spirit empowers for righteousness. The Spirit gives us the joy of walking with Him. The Spirit is the one that molds us together. And lastly, because God promises a greater celebration one day, we will live each day in the joy of our ultimate salvation. Does not mean life will be easy. Does not mean that there will not be troubles. Does not mean there will not be challenges. But we can still have the joy of the Lord moment by moment as we await that joyful day when we're in his presence face to face. Let us pray. Father, we are thankful for a great grace shown to us in Christ. We are thankful for a grace that sustains us and encourages us and grows us and challenges us. And Father, I pray that you would put a desire in our hearts that cannot be satisfied unless and until we walk with you in a way that is honoring to you. And I thank you that you can do that. And I'm asking you to for each one of us and for us as a believing community. Father, I pray that as we consider the words that you have given us, that we will experience the joy of the newness that we have in Christ and walk in that newness 
and fight against the temptations to go back to the former ways of our flesh and to walk in holiness. And we need your help. And so we ask for it and we depend upon it and ask your Holy Spirit to fill us to obey you and love you as we pray in Jesus' name. you stand as we close out our service this morning with the Lord is my salvation. The grace of God has reached for me and pulled me from the raging sea for I am saved the solid ground the Lord is my salvation I will not fear when darkness falls his strength will help me scale these walls I'll see the dawn of the rising sun the Lord is my salvation Baby.
a joy to be with you this morning in the house of the Lord. I hope you hang around, get to meet some new people, have a good cup of coffee, lots of classes starting at 11 a.m. So I hope you can stay around and continue growing with us this morning. And now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Let us go in peace. Have a wonderful Lord's Day. Thank you.